Hello, everyone. It's Jerry at the Fledge. Welcome to season two, episode 36 of Every Damn Day. And today we have our great friend Francis Knaus, and we're going to be talking about uh, recovery and peer support and the Better Days Club, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But how are you doing today? I'm good. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay, um, so I grew up right here in uh, the Lansing area. I predominantly um, grew up in East Lansing, but then I moved around a little bit. Um, uh, graduated from DeWitt. I uh, moved around a little bit after that, and eventually I ended up um, becoming a mom at the age of 19. And that was where I started my personal journey into recovery. Um, so basically what it ended up happening is I found out that I was pregnant and I got an MIP in the same couple weeks. Uh -huh. So um, it was sort of a, it was a, a big, big moment in my life to um, sort of, acknowledge what was going on. And what had been going on before that was that, um, so in my youth, I um, struggled with some mental illness. And then in my teens, I struggled with um, substance use, uh, substance abuse. And um, it got really bad. It got really bad um, even um, as early as 17. Um, it, it, uh, it wasn't good. Um, so when I found out I was pregnant and um, got an MIP and start starting to have to go to, um, uh, pro I had probation and I had um, the outpatient um, okay. for substance use. It was a real kick in the rear. So one quick thing, uh, MIP is a minor in possession yes. in case people don't know that. Mm -hmm. And when you started that, was that treatment the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT type of? No. So what it was, it was, it was for um, substance abuse. Okay. And it was um, part of the probation that I had to do. So you'd report once a week and um, you would basically talk about recovering where you're at. You know, have you started going to any meetings? What are you doing in the meetings and things like that? So Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that led to a passion maybe yes it absolutely did um it's really cool when i um, first got into recovery i was in aa and we uh, me and the people that i had made friends with we started a bid for something called mickey paw which is the michigan convention of young people in aa um, and the bid was to try to get the it's a convention every year and we try to get it in our city and um there was so much camaraderie around this. Um, there was so much excitement. And um, I had a purpose for the first time in a while. And um, so that really, that was the beginning of my interest in seeing how I can be a part of something greater than myself. And so does this still exist? Yes. Does it still go yeah, on? Yeah, it absolutely does. So it's every year and it's the uh, weekend before Thanksgiving. And um, it was, where was it? 
this past year. I'm not, I don't remember where it was this past year because I haven't participated in a while, but it is every year. Um, and if you're interested, there is a website. Um, I believe it's just mickeypod.org, but I will um, put the link for it on the Fledge website at the end. Okay. Um, if anyone's interested. So it'll be in the comments of the show yes, uh, for us to look up and we'll share share them around as well too on the other platforms. Yes. Yep. So uh, what, how did you get into uh, peer support? So tell us where you work for or who you work for and uh, kind of what you do there. Okay. So um, I'm a peer support specialist for community mental health. Um, I had tried on and off for a number of years um, in the first uh, four years of my recovery to get a job as a peer. And it was very challenging um, because even at that time, there, there weren't a lot of jobs for it. And when I did find it, it would be an hour away in Detroit. Or um, So it was really hard finding it. But eventually I found one at um, Community Mental Health. And um, so basically what I do is I didn't go to school to um, have the position that I have. Um, I use my experiences in recovery from both substance use and mental health um, to help other people that are like me. Um, and basically... Um, I use a combination of training that I had and um, my ability to empathize with other people like myself. Um, I do one-on-ones with my with my peers. That's what I call the people that I work with, my peers. Um, and I do one-on-ones. I also run a group every week. Um, and it's, it's really, uh, it's a privilege to have the job that I have because um, I can connect with my peers in a way that a lot of clinicians can't. Right. So um, it's I've been there for four years now and it's it's amazing. And I, I've been offered to um, get a different type of position that may look a little more prestigious to other people. And I decline because that means that I'm no longer using um, my experiences to help people. And I feel like for me, that's where I'm most effective. And did you say how long you've been in recovery? Because I think you've had a major milestone, right? Yeah, thank you. I did. Um, I just celebrated 10 years of uh, sobriety. So congratulations on that. That seems like that must have seemed on day one, like a very, very long way away. Yes. Yep. Even getting um, for a lot of people like myself, stringing along a day and weeks at a time is very challenging. So thinking about 10 years or where I'd be at in 10 years was I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. You know, uh, often people, you know, they they get. I guess we had we had a young woman in here the other day, and she was ready to go into a rehab facility, mm-hmm. and but they couldn't get her till the next day. So uh, the next day came, and she wasn't there anymore. I mean, she want she was here, but she didn't want to yes. go there anymore. And I think she just started thinking. We were talking to her that you know this journey is so long. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be this for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that, the rest of your life part. Do you think it is the rest of your life? Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, it depends on what part of the recovery community you're in. That's mm-hmm. a factor. Because some parts, um, they say that you're going to be an addict for the rest of your life. Or you acknowledge every day that I am an addict and I have to work every day of my life. Um, some parts of the world actually don't believe that you are going to be in recovery for the rest of their life. They actually believe that um, you can be healed from these illnesses. So it depends on who you're talking to. 
in uh, different recovery programs I've participated in one way or another, whether I, I do a lot of work in the opioid space, okay. I've got my own uh, battle with uh, alcohol. And it's, it's always, you know, why do people use a substance? they're filling some gap, right? Mm -hmm. There's a pain that's underneath. And mm -hmm. I love that you're tying this to mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. What what can you talk to us about kind of in that space? Was, was Were those two things with you bouncing back and forth? Like the mental illness was caused by the substance or causing the substance use, but substance use mm -hmm. also can alcohol is a depressant, for example. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to get depressed when you're drinking or after you're drinking right. or what have you what what was your experience in the working on both kind of Did yeah no um i would absolutely agree that at times um for some people it they do bounce off of each other and for my own uh story is that the kind of substances that i used i used them because they specifically counteracted my depression which is mm -hmm. what my illnesses is, is um, major depressive disorder. So I use substances that brought me up because otherwise I'd be down. But like you said, with alcohol, that's a depressant. Even if you take something that brings you up when you want to be up, you're eventually going to come back down. Um, and typically when these fluctuations happen, that can make your illnesses seem even worse. They can exacerbate it. So it's, it's very tricky. It's, um, it's what most, um, I would say, my understanding is that most people who have substance use have some type of mental illness. Um, so there's always going to be that, having to work on both. And it's very tricky. Yeah. And both of them are kind of all-consuming, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you as a human being are so much more, and I'm going to use this word, but I don't use it typically, you're so much more than an addict. Right. And we're right. trying to destigmatize exactly. that with substance use disorder or substance abuse disorder. Right. Um, how do you help people understand that? Because somebody right off the street that's homeless and using walks in here right now and it can make people scatter a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they just see that that single thing. Mm -hmm. Is that part of what you're doing in your your peer your peer-to-peer -peer work? So like um, with that particular, um, with like homelessness? Oh no, just uh, making sure that people understand there is a future. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, and it can with someone who's um, experiencing um, homelessness or someone who their life has been absolutely turned upside down, maybe you can't even recognize them as a person anymore you might look at that person and, and think um, it's hopeless. You know, um, someone in this position will never have a good life again, and it's just not the case. And um, I really like that you brought up um, that there's certain language that we can use that um, might make it difficult for us to see that people might have a future. And there's absolutely ways that we can be reframing things and that we can be um, putting information out there for people under to understand that recovery is absolutely possible. And, you know, I, those words, I, I learned this. I had a daughter who was uh, a heroin. She was using heroin for about 12 years before she passed of a uh, fentanyl overdose. And you know this story, so I hope I'm not surprising you. No, um, you. And, you know, learning 
how people viewed her and how people reacted to her because they had the word addict in mm -hmm. their head and the mechanisms that cause addiction are also the mechanisms that help us survive that help us want right. breath and right. joy and food and satisfaction I, I hate that word i was thinking about it this morning <laughs> i hate the word addict because yes. we could be addicted to so many things and some of the things that we're technically addicted to like air are okay yeah <laughs> right oh well, a lot of things that um are you know socially acceptable to consume and we consume them like we are addicted to them and it's just that in our society unfortunately drugs and alcohol are a couple of well sometimes even less alcohol sometimes we normalize um, alcohol abuse too um, mm -hmm. but with drugs you know we put a, a big stigma on that we you know we assume that the person has a, a, like something wrong with their morals because yeah. they abuse drugs well you've got a legal thing and you've got an illegal thing exactly. so we've already put the exactly the stake in the ground yes. on both of them yes uh what are your so what what's a what's kind of a typical day as a peer support yeah so um where i work every day is unique <laughs> so i work with individuals who have severe and persistent mental illnesses and we see them anywhere between one and seven days a week um, because typically um, part of their uh, program that they need us to help them with is that um, we have to deliver medication and we help them in crisis and we help with their families. We help with every aspect of these, you know, my peers' lives, every aspect of it, because these, these individuals, they have illnesses that are just pervasive and take over their entire lives. Um, so every day is different because, um, and I even, my job's a lot of fun because um, nothing is ever the same with what's going on with the client because they could be in a certain part of their recovery and then one day it could just absolutely change or just an aspect of their recovery could absolutely change. And we might not have been expecting that and we have to respond to it with compassion and, and the right training and um and it's every day is different so uh but typically i start off my morning by taking medication out to clients and i see them for about 15 minutes at those visit, visits um or it could be longer and then um, once a week i do group therapy and um so i'll do meds and then i'll do group therapy or i'll do meds and then i'll do a one-on-one -on -one with a client um, do you travel to them or do they come yes. to you? Yes, we are. Um, so we are exclusively out in the community. We only do about 15% of our work in our office. Um, and this is important because we're meeting them where they are at. They do not mm -hmm. have to come in to see us. We are going to them. So when I think about, you kind of talk about, you know, maybe I show up one day and I'm really into this and I'm friendly to you. Then the next week I show up and I'm like, not so into yes. it and get away from me. I don't <laughs> want to talk about this today. Yes. Do you, do you use the Maslow hierarchy a lot in your work? Like, Absolutely. So, cause, cause I think about like an entrepreneur who is living in poverty or under the Alice threshold. Yes. And one day they're really enthusiastic about their idea. Then the next day or the next time I see them, they're less so and you find out that they're having food insecurity yes. or housing or transportation what's kind of your thoughts in that so um so we say in the um 
mental health field and substance use field is um, housing first because housing is absolutely the number one reason why even people who don't have mental illness or substance use, why they are unable to obtain everything else that everybody else is able to obtain because that is like the number one thing. And we help with that. We make sure that they are housed. Where are you going to put your clothes? Where are you going to put exactly. your food? You lose that stuff when you're unhoused. Yes, absolutely. And so I like that because that's what we always say is that yes. if you can get housing, but then housing isn't always simple, right? No. Especially if you have <laughs> mental health. Yes, absolutely. Um, so do you help with the journey to housing? Yes. Oh, um, that's a struggle. Yes, it is a struggle. Um, and especially one thing that pops into my mind too is if someone has had frequent um, evictions, mm -hmm. that is a huge barrier to housing because, because yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as you know, that, um, if that's on your like rental record, you know, people aren't going to want to rent to you. Even if you have section eight, even, even if, if you, you have, have that, eight, yes. what about, um, in the beginning of housing? So somebody gets housed, maybe they've, you know, the whole thing's freaking them out, right? Yes. They got to call yes. the phone or not the phone company anymore, but you got to call the utilities. Yes. You got to get your gas on. You've got to, maybe you have to furnish the place. Yes. What, what kind of support, you know, that's the critical point, right? Mm -hmm. Is right when they first get that housing, mm -hmm. are you more intense in your one-on-ones with them? And yes. That? Yep. And we actually, um, that's a big thing on our radar. Um, like you said, it can freak someone out because they have never, um, or not never, but um, oftentimes maybe it's been a while um, since they've had to um, do the dishes even, oh, yeah. or um, or they've been alone because some people, uh, they're used to being around a lot of other people who also may have housing insecurity, but they're around a lot of people. So it's the first time that they're alone in this space and it can be scary. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, uh, making all those phone calls, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And we, we oftentimes help them make those phone calls. Uh, sometimes we do it for them. Okay. If that's what they need, we will do that for them. And then they may have lost all their paperwork. Yes. They don't have an ID, a social security yes. card, birth certificate. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times we have to reorder those things and we'll do it happily every single time. Yeah. We're trying to figure out a, like kind of a document bank for people where they'd be able to have an ID that they could scan that would right. bring them to their documents or at least electronic copies. Mm -hmm. um, so in the, I'm going to go back to Maslow for a second, because I think about, you know, it's a hierarchy and most people kind of work from the bottom up, but it's also a web, right? You need, I love what you do because your connection is the opposite of everything bad. And what I mean by that is you'll hear a lot in recovery connection is the opposite of addiction, uh -huh. right? Connections, the opposite of unhoused, having somebody like you on my side gives me a higher probability right. of navigating all these things that are going to come at me. Um, when do you work? When do you start doing the self-esteem and the self-actualization and the sense of purpose? So, I would say there there are, from my training as a peer, there are stages of recovery. If you are a licensed clinician, then you say the stages of change. Um, so either way, um, it depends on where someone's at in these phases and in these stages. Uh, we're going to have those conversations when someone is ready because a lot of times people are not ready to be bombarded with the question or the...
that are you happy yet are oh you <laughs> did this please you and are you happy now um so those questions don't come right away um but they come at some point when someone feels empowered when you can when you can just see it someone feels empowered they feel um maybe useful or capable and and you let them know and you see that and you let them know i see this in you and that's how you start that conversation is acknowledging that in them and then they will acknowledge it in themselves at some point so you get paid this is your job right mm -hmm. to do this is there also a group of volunteers that help i know that i know that there's some groups that are out there where you can join and it's peer-to-peer -peer and it's kind of volunteer based mm -hmm. is there is there a way like people need more connections mm -hmm. i believe that the more connections you have the higher probability of going wherever you want to go mm -hmm. what what can we do to um i'm talking a little bit early of this but we're going to come back to it too yeah um but what could we do to help as just uh let's say a non-cmh employee mm -hmm. or do you guys have a bunch of job openings and you need tons of them <laughs> actually we do and we have residential technicians that could be those position positions could be filled um but if you aren't looking to work in an agency like that there's a lot of things that you can do um so there are groups that there are places that you can go where you can for one better understand illness so that you can just be an ally in general. And then there's um, some places that you can go where you can actually help with like, um, you know, boots on the ground kind of work. How can I be there for someone in these crises and um, or this, you know, mental health situations? Um, and one of those is the Better Days Club is one way that people can get involved. Another one is um, reaching out to um, something like Lansing Central AA. Um, there's a place called um, Lifeboat Recovery. And these are just a couple examples of people and places you can reach out to to better understand how you can um, support the people in our community that have these illnesses. Okay. Tell us about Better Days Club. So Better Days Club was um, started about six months ago. Um, it was unfortunately started after a tragedy that happened in, within our community. Um, and a lot of people were really concerned about um, the mental health of some of the people you know, in our community. So basically what it is, is um, we are trying to radicalize the way that we um, look at connection and the way that we create connection. Um, as it is right now, the system, the mental health system is limited on how people who might be going through a crisis mm -hmm. or just in general need resources, how they get these resources, um, especially if you are, you know, don't have housing and things like that. There's so many barriers, but um, the Better Days Club is meant to be um, like a, a web of people who are there at any time when someone is having something going on that they can reach out to the Better Days Club and there's resources, there's people that wanna support you. I know at one point it was floated that there may even be um, financial assistance and assistance with um, clothing and things like that in case someone, that's what they need. Because like we've talked about, it could just be clothing that, that causes someone to have a crisis because they didn't have enough clothing this week. Yeah. It could be anything. 
well, not having boots this yes, week. Yes, absolutely. Hats yes, and gloves yes, would be yeah. horrible. Um, so, how can people get involved with the Better Days Club? So, um, there is a Facebook page for the Better Days Club, and um, I can link that again in okay. the um, comment section of this um, at this session. And um, basically, we're, we're kind of taking a break right now. The Better Days Club is, but um, I know that there is intention to um, start it back up. I think just reaching out and asking, um, how can I help? And um, how can I be an ally? And there's people that are ready to um, pass along that information and, and give you information on how you can support Better Days Club. Okay, I'm ready. Let's get it yeah. back on the calendar <laughs> and start too. going. Uh, maybe we can merge it with a couple of events yeah. and get people um, involved. The uh, I, I often worry about clubs like that and, and uh, the, the person you're talking about, she was a very, very good friend of mine and a very, very good friend of the Fledge. And it was tragic. And we all were heartbroken. And we said we had to do something about it. And then that having to do something about it started almost becoming contagious on yes. us, right? And it was, it was exhausting because we were trying to deal with let's start this thing, but we haven't processed our mourning exactly. and our grief exactly. yet. Exactly, yep. Um, how, how do you, or maybe this doesn't happen to you, but I feel the pain, right? When I'm dealing with somebody in substance use, I'm empathetic, I, I'm an empath, and it just, I feel that pain. And sometimes I've just got to step away mm -hmm. and go cry yeah. before I can come back and talk to this person. How do you stay, I don't know, healthy in this? Is it, can, does it get to you? And I don't mean get to you in a negative way, but it's heavy. Yeah. So um, for my job, for that part of it, I work part-time. <laughs> I don't work full-time. Um, and as I had mentioned, I, um, I don't have any intentions of taking on greater roles at this time. I'm very comfortable with the amount of work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I found a really good balance. Um, I set a lot of boundaries. Um, I'm open with the people around me about what my limitations are. And then with the Better Days Club, um, or I've done other volunteer work too. Um, typically, I try to be, like I said, very transparent with people around me. I try to make sure that like when I'm waking up in the morning and I have something I have to do for one of these clubs that I'm taking care of what I need to take care of first, because I can't be useful to other people if I'm not taking care of myself. Yeah. So I just think it's, it's about balance and um, understanding myself and um, making sure that I am, I'm not acting out of emotion. Um, I try to be logical about what I'm, or like intentional about what I'm doing instead of acting off of my emotions. Um, so it's just balance. Who, who would we want? Um, and, and I'm glad you have that because yeah, this, this all can be, is it called secondary trauma where you feel someone else's trauma I think so. or yeah. Uh, how, who should come? What's a person like struggling with right now that should probably call the better days club and i'll start if you want if what yes, i was please. thinking like a, a parent who's really worried about their child's substance use or 
you're scared of somebody might be suicidal mm -hmm. that you know and love. Yeah. Is it, are we open to anything and everything? Oh yeah, I think so. And especially because we're still in the early stages of developing the Better Days Club. Um, we have a lot of ideas and we haven't been able to make all of them come to fruition. And I think in fact, it would be nice to be able to allow people to come to us and tell us what they need. Mm -hmm. And for us to, you know, follow that lead and say, obviously, this is what our community needs. How can we provide this service to them? I love it. And we're going to post links to a yes. bunch of stuff. Yes, right? we are. <laughs> so I'm out here listening to the show, let's say, mm -hmm. and I want to do something. What's something simple I could do? So um, one of my suggestions is it's about language. It's about, um, we've talked briefly about this, about um, the way that we um, phrase things. Um, there's a lot of harmful language out there that um, when you used one example is addict. Um, but one of the examples is, um, we call it person first language. Um, an example of that is to, instead of saying the mentally ill, it's saying an individual with a mental illness or just an illness. Um, it's creating a space for people to not be defined by what they're struggling with. Um, so when you use, when you're talking, when you're on social media, when you're, um, even if you're like a seasoned, you know, community leader, we're always learning how to be able to um, talk about people as though they have, as though they deserve dignity. And um, we're still struggling with that. It's, it's, a, it's a big problem. Um, but I, I would also say another thing is um, if you are interested in trying to spread awareness of certain things, um, be careful what you're, what you're sharing. Um, look at the date on what you're sharing. I'm, mm, I'm talking about yeah, social media specifically. Look at the date to look at, is it relevant? Um, is this helpful? Is this actually helping? Um, and if you don't know, maybe ask someone who's got an illness and ask them, do you feel like this is helpful? Um, so just being cautious and considerate about what you're putting out into the universe. Um, I think that that would make a, a big difference to the people in this community. Yeah, I, uh, I love that advice. Words are important. Mm -hmm. uh, stop saying political correctness. That yeah. term right there just tries to negate everything. Yes. It's not just political correctness. It's somebody's health. It's yes. the way they have dignity. It's how they think about mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, words are very, very important. Yeah. And so. I know, I mean, in the even in the system or working at CMH, our language has to change all the time. And yeah. it can get daunting. It can. And I understand that. But I think that it has more to do about, um, to do with, your intentions. Are you, do you want to be good intention? Then just be considerate. Just um, ask someone, ask someone, how would this make you feel if I said this? Or um, do a little bit of research. And you're not going to be perfect, but just, you know. And gently correct each other. Yes. And thank each other yes. for correcting each other. Absolutely. And quit saying, I'm sorry for whatever. Yes. And that's a big, um, that's a big part of being a peer is making sure that you're stopping to listen to their experience because I'm even capable of saying the wrong thing and um, realizing that I just 
stepped over someone's experience, stepped over. They're telling me that, you know, I don't like what you just said, or I don't feel like you're listening. Just being able to humble yourself and, and go, wow, you know what? I might not have been listening yeah. and being open to that and saying, I'm sorry. And um, I'll try harder next time. Perfect. Anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? Um, I think the only other thing that I wanted to share was, um, and I guess it, it's still in line with what we were just talking about. It has to do with um, the information that you put out into the community. So um, this is especially if you are a leader or a mentor within your community. I think that it's um, right now in an era of the spread of misinformation, I think that it's really important that we are considerate of the information that we are putting out there, um, especially if you are a peer, because you are you are not only looked up to, but you are trusted because of your role. Um, I think I think all roles, clinically or not, you're trusted. But I think especially with peers, it's really important to make sure that you are considerate of what you are putting out there and. I say this because I think that we're capable of saying that this is the way to do things. It happened to me this way and it worked this way for me. So this is how it should be done. And what we're struggling with right now in the recovery community is people finding ways to do recovery the way that it works for them. Mm -hmm. um, because especially if you're court ordered to do something, you end up in AA. That's, that's yeah. one example. Um, but people eventually might want to branch out. And so if you have a trusted person like a peer who's telling you, you know, this is the way that it should be done, or this is what you should do, or this is what you should not do, um, it can be really harmful. And I think that we need to um, make sure that we are opening up all possibilities, all paths to other people in recovery. Because yeah. um, it's hard when you're in recovery. It's very difficult to be able to find your own path, especially when you have people around you who are sort of pushing you in one direction. So if there's a million people, there's a million paths. Yes. And, and any path is possible. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so very much for yeah. coming on and telling us your story and what you do and giving us some great advice. And I just want to say to everybody, you can do simple things. And I think these are some great, uh, uh, suggestions, Better Days Club, spreading the right information, getting involved. Uh, and at the end of the day, remember to be kind and compassionate and loving, because I know we often look out at the world and say, that's where all of these people are. But a lot of times it could be the person sitting at dinner with you, and it yes. could be the people that you're the most close to. Uh, this is happening to all of us. And we need more people like you and we appreciate you very you. very much thank you likewise so love y'all have a great day we'll see you tomorrow on every damn day